So Israel set out with all that was his. And when he reached Bethsaida, he offered sacrifice to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in vision at night and said, Jacob, Jacob, here I am, he replied. I am God, the God of your father, he said. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation. There, I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again. And Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. Then Jacob left Bathsheba, and Israel's sons took their father Jacob and their children and their wives in the carts that Pharaoh had sent to transport him. They also took with them their livestock and the possession they had had acquired in Canaan, and Jacob and all his offspring went to Egypt. He took with him to Egypt his sons and grandson and his daughters and granddaughters, all his offspring. Now Jacob sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to get direction to Goshen. When they arrived in the region of Goshen, Joseph had his chariot made ready and went to Goshen to meet his father. Israel. As soon as Joseph appeared before him, he threw his arm around his father and wept for a long time. Israel said to Joseph, Now I am ready to die, since I have seen you for myself that you are still alive. Then Joseph said to his brother and his father's household, I will go up and speak to Pharaoh and will say to him, My brother and my father's household who were living in the land of Canaan have come to me. The men are shepherds. They tend livestock and they have brought along with them flocks, their herds, and everything they own. When Pharaoh calls you in and asks, what is your occupation? You should answer, your servant have tended livestock from our boyhood on, just as our father did. Then you will be allowed to settle in the region of Goshen, for all shepherds are detestable in the Egyptian. Joseph went and told Pharaoh, my father and brother with their flock and herds and everything they own have come to the land of Canaan and now in Goshen. He chose five of his brothers and presented them before Pharaoh. Pharaoh asked the brothers, What is your occupation? Your servants are shepherds, they replied to Pharaoh, just as our father were. They also said to him, We have come to live here a while, because the famine is severe in Canaan, and your servants' flocks have no pasture. So now, please, let your servants settle in Goshen. Pharaoh said to Joseph, Your father and your brother have come to you, and the land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brother 
in the best part of the land. Let them live in Goshen. And if you know of any among them with special ability, put them in charge of my own livestock. Then Joseph brought his father Jacob in and presented him before Pharaoh. After Jacob blessed Pharaoh, Pharaoh asked him, How old are you? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The year of my pilgrimage are a hundred and thirty. My years have been few and difficult, and they do not equal the years of pilgrimage of my fathers. Then Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from his presence. So Joseph settled in with his father and his brothers in Egypt and gave them property in the best part of the land, the district of Ramesses, as Pharaoh directed. directed. Joseph also provided his father and his brother and all his father's household with food according to the number of their children. There was no food, however, in the whole region because the famine was severe, both in Egypt and Canaan, wasted away because of the famine. Now the Israelites settled in Egypt in the region of Goshen. They acquired property there and were fruitful and increased greatly in number. Jacob lived in Egypt 17 years, and the years of his life were 147. When the time drew near the, for Israel to die, he called for his son Joseph and said to him, If I have found favor in your eyes, put your hand under my thigh and promise that you will show me kindness and faithfulness. Do not bury me in Egypt, but when I rest with my fathers, carry me out of Egypt and bury me where they are buried. I will do as you say, he said. Swear to me, he said. Then Joseph swore to him and Israel worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. Welcome, everyone. Lovely to see you. My name is Chris, as I mentioned earlier. And um, we're going to look at that passage together. Um, let's, uh, let's pray together then. Gracious Heavenly Father, we, um, we pray that you would open your word to our hearts tonight so that when your ways are hidden from us, that we trust you deeply in our hearts. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Life is full of endings. Endings. Uh, One writer puts it this way. Um, For example, we experience personal endings in many ways with those we love and care about. A loved one dies, suffers cancer or another serious illness, or we experience relationship breakdown, job downsizing, economic hardship, a broken dream, even the aging process itself. This is the inevitable suffering that comes during the seasons of life. We cannot control or stop the seasons. They simply come in God's time. So think about your life. Um, Is there any kind of ending happening in your life at the moment? 
Or is there an ending brewing in some way in your life? Have a think about that. And then think, uh, how are you feeling about that ending? What kind of emotions bubble up in you when you think about it? Uh, Because let's face it, uh, endings involve change. And change is something that we really can struggle with. And that same writer talks about that uh, in this way. Let me read this out. Change is difficult for most people. We experience it as an unwelcome intruder derailing our hopes and plans. We prefer to remain in control and to operate in familiar patterns, even when they fail to serve us well. We might acknowledge intellectually that God can bring new beginnings and precious gifts out of our losses, but it doesn't ease the sting of loss or prevent us from trying to avoid it. It isn't easy to trust the inner voice of the Spirit inviting us to cross over into this painful and unknown new territory. Today, really, my prayer is that God helps us to face any kind of endings in a God-focused way. And we're going to see that, what we're going to see is that endings can be confusing, but God can make them fruitful. That's what we're going to see. Um, so let's, um, to see that, let's, uh, let's get our bearings in this Bible passage. Um, you might be aware, if you've been over here over the series, that the overall plot of Genesis 37 to 50 is, is following the family of promise. Um, since the creation of the world, uh, humanity had then turned away from God and turned in on itself, which is sin entering the world. Uh, but God made a promise in Genesis 3 that eventually a special person would come to crush uh, evil and sin. And that promise would develop in stages, however. And first of all, uh, God told a man, Abraham, that Abraham's family line would be a, a beacon for that promise. And for that to happen, Abraham's descendants would be uh, first, huge in number, second, under God's favor, and thirdly, located in a particular, a particular place, the promised lands. That's where the family of promise are going to be, shining as a beacon to God's promise. That's God's promise. Now, uh, the family tree began to grow. Um, Abraham, whose son was Isaac, whose son was Jacob. He had 12 sons, including Joseph. That's where we're located in the Bible. And a huge famine has threatened to wipe out the family of promise. That's not good. But God's hidden hand has placed Joseph as a great leader in Egypt to help save the family. And last week, uh, he, Joseph, he revealed himself to his brothers. Hurrah! Brilliant. And Joseph has told them to hop back to the promised land, Canaan, to, to their father Jacob. He's still there. He's very old. And to tell him, Joseph is still alive. Come over to Egypt for famine relief, yes, but to reunite the family, the family promise. That's what's been going on. And that's where we pick it up today. Uh, we pick it up in the beginning of verse, uh, chapter, 30, chapter 46, the first verse there. So if you want to follow along, uh, do open up your Bibles again and follow along in chapter 46. So from verse 1 there, what happens? So Israel. Uh, that Israel is not a name for Jacob. So Jacob um, set out with all that was his. He packs everything. And when he reached Beersheba, he offers... He offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. Now, okay, uh, Beersheba, that is at the southern edge of the promised land. It's like the exit point. It's like Dover, border control, effectively. That's where it is. So it's on the edge. 
So if you imagine Jacob, this old father Jacob there, his heart at that point would have been a boiling pot of different emotions and confusion, really. His heart would have been racing because he's going to see his son Joseph, who for 20 years he thought was dead. But also his heart might have been sinking because he's thinking, wait a minute, I'm leaving the promised land. I'm supposed to be there, aren't I? I'm going in the wrong direction. I'm going to Egypt. What is that about? I'm confused. So what happens? Verse 2. And God spoke to Israel, to Jacob, in a vision at night and said, Jacob, Jacob, here I am, he replied. I am God, the God of your father, he said. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. So um, he's saying, your time in the promised land, yeah, that was that's ending. That's coming to an end, but I'm turning it into a new beginning. I will multiply your descendants just like I promised, but not in the promised land. There. I'll make you into a great nation there in Egypt. I'm going to build your population there. So this won't be a, a quick trip for Jacob at all. Implication, uh, Jacob, his life is going to end in Egypt. He's realizing that now. But God reassures him. Verse 4, God says, I will go down to Egypt with you, Jacob, and I will surely bring you back again. And Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. Uh, To understand that, uh, the word you um, has quite a wide sense there. So God is saying, even though you, Jacob, are going to die in Egypt, it won't be the final destination for your descendants, your family. I'm going to bring that kind of that bigger you. I'm going to bring you back as a family. They will return eventually. So Jacob, don't don't fear. Don't fear. Isn't God gracious to reassure Jacob like that? Very gracious. So verse five. Then Jacob left Beersheba, and Israel's sons took their father Jacob and their children and their wives in the carts that Pharaoh had sent to transport him. So Jacob and all his offspring went to Egypt, taking with them their livestock and the possessions they had acquired in Canaan, the promised land. Jacob brought with him to Egypt his sons, his grandsons, and his daughters and his granddaughters, all his offspring. Notice Jacob has got all his offspring with him. So God has lost none of those he promised to be his. He's lost no one. They end their time in the promised land they begin their time in Egypt. Uh, let's think about ourselves for a moment at this point. Um, as I've been wrestling with this, I think our first big take-home is this, simply this, which is on the screen, is that endings can be confusing. Perhaps we just know that. We know that. We agree with that, I'm sure. Is that maybe, in a similar way to Jacob, an aspect of your life seems like it's going the wrong direction. I I don't get it. Maybe you thought you were doing the right thing and had a sense of God leading you, maybe. But now you're facing a new direction and there's nothing you can do about it. You're disappointed, you're unsettled, you're confused. And it might be really scary. Well, Jacob's experience tells us clearly that that kind of confusion is quite, it's normal. 
And God understands. And more than that, if you're following Jesus, God is with you in that confusion. Endings can be confusing. I think that was a great encouragement, actually. Um, after, after university, um, I apply, applied for a, a graduate job, and I was dead set on it. And I got rejected. I wasn't very happy about that. In fact, I was really confused, and I was very angry about it. And I remember um, there was a phone number to call for any feedback. So like, here we go. Um, so I phoned them up, and they said, yeah, well, you weren't very good at that and that. And I was like, oh, I think you're wrong. And then I could hear them pretty much on the phone saying, yeah, I'm pretty glad I didn't give you the job, actually. I was, just, I, was, I was confused by this direction that I thought was one way, but it clearly wasn't going to be that way. I was angry about it, confused by it. And I couldn't deal with that. We need to be able to deal with it. Endings can be confusing. That is something that is reality. It's like that. Uh, you'll notice that uh, in the interest of time, we didn't uh, have verses 8 to 27 read out. Uh, we could have done, but it would be a much longer service. Um, now, they are, if you look down there, uh, they are a list of names of everyone in Jacob's family. It's a long list. Now, why have such a long list there? Why? Well, because this event, going down to Egypt, is so momentous. This is a big family migration, and it's a big moment in God's story. But it would have been a pitiful sight, to be honest. You know, a huge family, ragged through famine, dragging itself across the desert inch by inch. Pitiful sight, really. Let's pick it up in verse 28. Do look down if you'd like to read along. Verse 28, what happens? Now, Jacob sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to get directions to Goshen. That's where they want to settle. When they arrived in the region of Goshen, Joseph had his chariot made ready and went to Goshen to meet his father Israel. As soon as Joseph appeared before him, he threw his arms around his father and wept for a long time. Israel said to Joseph, Now I'm ready to die, since I've seen for myself that you are still alive. Can you imagine the scene? What a coming together. For 20 years, Jacob thought his son, Joseph, his favorite son, was dead. And for 20 years, Joseph um, thought his father thought he was dead. And they've been apart, dreadful, and they're coming together. And so the tears, they're, they're tears of joy, aren't they? But they're loaded with all the weight of, uh, of grief, of separation, and of guilt. And it all comes flooding out. Unsurprising. And this is a turning point in this kind of chapter, really, in these couple of chapters, because at this point, events begin to turn to the question then of how this, of this new beginning that seems to be starting for the family of promise. How is their life in Egypt going to pan out? How's it going to go? Uh, what happens is um, Joseph takes the initiative. Uh, he doesn't tell them any lies, but he finds a way to secure for his family a place where they can stay together. That's the plan. Um, so, verse 31. This is how it goes. Then Joseph said to his brothers and his father's household, Tell you what, I will go up and speak to Pharaoh and say to him, My brothers and my father's household, who were living in the land of Canaan, have come to me. 
The men are shepherds, they tend livestock, and they have brought along their flocks and herds and everything they own. When Pharaoh calls you in, talking to his brothers, um, when Pharaoh calls you in and asks, what is your occupation? You should answer, your servants have tended livestock from our boyhood on, just as our fathers did. Then you will be allowed to settle in the region of Goshen, for all shepherds are detestable to the Egyptians. So in summary, that's Joseph's plan. Pharaoh, we're shepherds, please keep us separate in that region. And it's a good region in many ways. It's quite a big ask. Does the plan work? Yeah, the plan works. Pharaoh agrees to it. And you can read that in the beginning of chapter 47. Pharaoh agrees. So skip ahead to verse 11 then. Chapter 46, verse 11. So, so Joseph settled his father and his brothers in Egypt and gave them property in the best part of the land, the district of Ramses, as Pharaoh directed. Joseph also provided his father and his brothers and all his father's household with food, according to the number of their children. There was no food, however, in the whole region because the famine was severe. Both Egypt and Canaan wasted away because of the famine. So again, do you see the emphasis there? Is that God provides abundantly for Jacob's family. Abundantly. Their new beginning in Egypt doesn't begin with despair. Despite being being surrounded by famine, there's no despair. But God provides what they need. He provides. They're going to prosper. They're going to be okay. And the result of this is that, wonderfully, God is already beginning to fulfill his promise that this new beginning in Egypt has a purpose. Remember, remember we talked about it? He told Jacob, I'm going to make you a great nation there, in Egypt, there. And this is what's happening now. So fast forward to verse 27, it tells us, Now the Israelites settled in Egypt, in the region of Goshen. They acquired property there, and were fruitful and increased greatly in number. Wow, that is in a, in a, a time of famine and beyond. That, that is a massive thing that's happened there. The family are fruitful and they grow massively in number. They are becoming a nation, just as God promised. Now again, for us, um, what, what is our take-home from all this? Well, I think what we see is that endings can be confusing, but they can become fruitful. They really can. Now, maybe like Jacob and his family, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, God is calling you to believe and trust that he can produce good fruits through an ending happening in your life. Do you believe that? Can you trust God with that? Um, Jesus Christ is, of course, our, our means and model for this because with Jesus Christ, his life ended when he was crucified on the cross But he knew that there'd be good fruit from that. So his death as substitute for sinners like you and me brings to billions of sinners like you and me, brings us new life with God. So his death means God forgives and adopts us and his beloved children. So Jesus' ending 
We're so fruitful. We are the fruit of it. And if you follow Jesus, that pattern of life through death is our model too as we follow him. God brings fruit out of famine. God brings good out of evil. God brings healing out of hurts. That is the Jesus pattern. Now, let's be a bit more specific. Um, for Jacob's family, their time in Egypt brought yeah, good fruit of multiplying numbers, yes. But part of that would have been the forging together of their, their, kind of, their, their spiritual corporate identity under God as his people together as they grew in number. They're growing in community and that kind of identity together. And we can do something similar in our endings, as it were. So when you experience something ending, and it is painful and confusing, there is an opportunity there. God wants to mature us in that as we cling to Christ and let go of other things. A couple of examples briefly. Um, a personal example, I mean, for myself, a year and a half ago, I hit the wall, frankly, in quite a big way. I had a succession of bereavements, and which, kind of like a boxer, you know, punched me to the floor, and I couldn't get up, to be honest. I hit the wall. Many of us hit the wall at some point. Now, that was a very hard and confusing time. But it was also an incredibly fruitful time, actually. It was a fruitful ending for me. I had to let go of putting a brave face on. I had to let go of loving to please people. I had to let go of those things. I didn't choose to hit the wall. I didn't choose for that ending. But I'm grateful for it because God made it fruitful for me. And fruitful for the people around me. That's the Jesus pattern. And another example would be the, um, or the things that Rocky and I talked about earlier. You know, uncomfortable conversations in church can feel like a, a dead end, an ending. You know, it's like, I don't want to go there, that's too awkward. Ugh. You know? But our ending of loving comfort, for example, bringing an end to that, loving comfort, is perhaps the most fruitful thing that we can do in our church life. To move beyond discomfort, to move into discomfort. That's the Jesus pattern. Let's not be scared by it. Think of your own endings as well, as it were. Will you trust God in some way to make it fruitful? That's the Jesus pattern. Uh, Just one more short episode in the chapter that I'd like us to look at uh, before we finish. Uh, Read with me, if you like, from verse 28 in chapter 47. Verse 28, so. So Jacob lived in Egypt 17 years, and the years of his life were 147. Now, uh, do ask afterwards if you have questions about how he could be so old, you know. Um, Verse 29, but when the time drew near for Israel to die, He called for his son Joseph and said to him, If I have found favor in your eyes, put your hand under my thigh and promise that you will show me kindness and faithfulness. Do not bury me in Egypt, but when I rest with my fathers, carry me out of Egypt and bury me where they are buried. 
I will do as you say, Joseph said. Swear to me, Jacob said. Then Joseph swore to him, and Israel worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. And what's going on there? Jacob knows he's going to die in Egypt. But he's saying to Joseph, Joseph, don't, don't bury me there in Egypt. Bury me back in the promised lands with my father Isaac and my grandfather Abraham. Bury me there, back there. That's the land of promise. That's where I want to be. Because I trust that God will take his people back there too. That's what Jacob's saying, do you see? He's saying that in my burial, I want to declare the truth that God will not leave his people in Egypt, but will bring them back as he had promised all along. So Jacob in his death is putting himself into God's hands because he trusts him. He's saying, my death is not the end of my story because it's not the end of your story, God. He's saying, I've made mistakes in my life, but God doesn't make mistakes. So in my death, I put myself into your hands. I entrust myself to your promises, God. And if you didn't know already, wait for the last chapter of Genesis. We'll be there in a couple of weeks' time. Because what happens? When Jacob Jacob does die, the family, with Pharaoh's blessing, they take him over to the promised land and they bury him there. That's what they do. Joseph said they would. And for us, likewise, God calls us to put ourselves into God's hands. That's how endings can move from being confusing to fruitful. To put ourselves into God's hands in death, yes, certainly. And in among all our different endings that we go through. All those many deaths that can be so painful we too can say, this ending I'm going through is not the end of my story because it's not the end of God's story for humanity. Endings can be very, very confusing, but God can make them fruitful. So let's put ourselves into God's hands as we trust him. So let's take a moment to pray and ask for God's help to do that. Heavenly Father, what a God you are. We thank you that, thank you so much that in our, in our sin and in our suffering we can come to you. More so that you came to us, your son Jesus was willing to end his life so that we can have a new beginning. Father, even when we are confused, nothing confuses you. Even when we cannot imagine how good fruit can, can come, It is not beyond you. So Father, really we ask that kind of whatever our endings we're experiencing today or in the months ahead, in the year ahead, help us to put the trust of our hearts into your hands. Do a good work in us, we pray. And so bring glory to yourself. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.